welcome to the second RBA podcast, and uh, originally I was going to say that I was sentimental for RBA weekend, but now I'm sentimental for the original podcast, which is now lost to the uh, <clears throat> to the great, vast expanse of whatever goes on in my computer and the programs that I use on it, but uh, everything is a learning experience in life, some of us have learned, even in the league, the RBA, but uh, I have learned that uh, I'm going to make sure I know where the files go before I exit the program. Well, it is uh, week one is already in the books, and I'm going to try to to atone for the lost podcast that I did record before the vacation. Um, I'm going to try and fill you in a little bit on RBA Weekend, give you a little bit of a summary of what I discussed then, a little bit of a season preview, and then hit the highlights of week one in the RBA. Um... A lot of uh, interesting subplots, uh, the genesis of the injury factor coming into play. Uh, also had a couple of new wrinkles that we got to test drive here in week one. And um, you know, the injury factor did rear its ugly head in a couple of cases, and, and you know, some strategy will have to be employed. First of all, I would be remiss if I didn't uh, bring this up first from the original podcast wanted to take this uh, take this opportunity to congratulate Matt Cooper and the Las Vegas Effect, the 2009 RBA champions. In their fourth championship appearance, they felled the Dunedin Clear Blues four games to two in the championship series. After losing to State College, Orlando, and Arizona, giving each of those three teams their first title and only title. Las Vegas joined the winner's circle in their eighth season in the league, ninth season of the league overall. Las Vegas has put their names on the plaque uh, here in season nine after 2009. So it was that Las Vegas won, and, and I'm going to give you a little bit of a rundown if you weren't there, if you didn't hear about it, how it happened. Las Vegas came out a little bit weak. Dan Heron got roughed up in Game 1 by Dunedin, a powerful offensive club. Both these offensive clubs very streaky. Uh, of course, Vegas was facing probably the best pitcher in the league, the best starting pitcher, Rich Harden, in Games 1 and 5, and he did not disappoint for Dunedin. In fact, Game 1 was rather lopsided in favor of the visitors, the Dunedin Clear Blues, who hung 6 on Dan Heron and 3 late on uh, Octavio Dotel, including 4 RBI hits by Nick Markakis run homers by Braun and Votto, and they rode Rich Harden, seven innings, one earned run, and 14 strikeouts to the game one win, nine to three. That uh, that outing only surpassed by Mark Pryor's gem in season six when he struck out 16 batters. Rich Harden on his mind. Orlando took it away from him in 2007. He couldn't come back in 2008 against Arizona. Tensions had to be running high. But, in Game 6, Las Vegas Effect, after falling behind 1-0 in, in inning number 1, scored 2 in the bottom of the first against rookie John Lester, and got a huge 3-run homer from Carlos Quentin in the bottom of the 5th to take a 5-1 lead. Even when Joey Votto hit a 3-run homer in the 6th to make it 5-4 again, they retained the lead, they outlasted Dunedin held them scoreless over the last three innings. And so it was that Las Vegas and Matt Cooper, with a loud yell, a scream, that let out all the frustrations of the previous seasons, much to the chagrin of Jeff Hobbs' rival, Jeff Florian, Bill Hall's number one fan. 
took home the, took home the plaque. And, uh, congratulations to the Las Vegas effect. Um, if you weren't an RBA weekend, a couple of things that have to be mentioned: the uh, the incredible atmosphere during the championship. It was tense. It was fun. Um, Jeff and Jeff providing commentary where it was necessary, where it wasn't necessary at points. Uh, during the draft, Adam, of course, trading away his draft, um, claiming that his heart was in Coldstone most of the time, and finally asking me to compute which round he would finish drafting in after making eight complicated trades during the process of the draft while I was trying to run the draft, which was really the what we'll call the remote control moment of the weekend, uh, reminiscent of when he asked which was better during the draft, which was better, the remote control he was holding or a certain quarterback on the game he was watching. Adam, always good for a laugh during the draft. A better laugh, though, and, and my favorite moment, had to have been something between Cooper and Jeff. Either the trade offer that Cooper made, which made sense to him at the time, uh, of Steve Buscemi's face for Jeff's face in a pick, implying that I, I suppose Jeff's heinous looks were the target of that barb. Um, it was either that or Jeff trying to retort by screaming into the speakers out of which Cooper's voice were, was emerging, rather than the microphone that would pick it up, and and really failing to understand what I was, uh, you know, how I was correcting him or why I was correcting him as to that. The good times. It was a reminiscent RBA weekend, and I should also congratulate Dog Pond for taking home the hardware in that, the General Sports Trivia Challenge, unseating the JR slash Dave juggernaut of the past six years. And Adam reminded me that he did win in the first the first year we did it, which was the second season. So a throwback RBA weekend in a lot of aspects. Uh, probably the best moment of Trivia Friday was when Jeff Hobbs, after sweeping Cooper in the RBA Trivia Challenge, leaned towards the microphone correctly this time and proclaimed that a sweep would be exactly what would happen to Cooper in the championship, which was, of course, erroneous. But just one more story as well. I have to mention the the moment when uh, when Jeff claimed that he couldn't hear Cooper's berating retorts because he was deafened by uh, picking up the plaque, uh, trying to imply that because he had the title, he, uh, <clears throat> he couldn't hear Cooper. Uh, then proclaimed that, that he just figured if he start, kept talking, he would eventually make sense, which we all know from talking to Jeff is untrue. Well, I've spent enough time bashing Jeff, and now I'm going to get to the to the moment that he has been waiting for with bated breath, really. And that is the point, the moment, in the podcast, the moment in the season when I predict the win totals of each team. Now, this was computed before week one. We might revisit these projections as we keep going through the season, adjust up and down for trades and, and the starts that teams have gotten and the injuries that have piled up and the allocation of them. A lot of, lot of chips out there to be traded, some moves perhaps to be done in, in the offing. And, but I'm going to run down my projected win totals for the 12 teams in the RBA this season. Now remember, I gave some over-unders before the draft. Some teams definitely moved during the draft, not the least of which was Orlando and Baltimore, who kind of exchanged their first round, or their first few rounds of the draft. Um, some teams had some good drafts, some mediocre drafts, uh, you know, other people. I can leave that to other people to analyze, of course. Mine is not to judge. 
minus to analyze. But I think that overall we can we can decide that the draft really didn't affect the team scores all that much. And I think the projected wins are, are going to be pretty much in line with what I predicted before the draft. Um, starting in the Larkin division, I'll, I'll cut the suspense for Jeff. He has enough stresses in his life, you know, with being witless. So, <clears throat> Jeff will start out by proclaiming the Arizona Greenbacks. Uh, and my forecast for them is going to be a robust 51 in the win column for the Arizona Greenbacks this season. Um, that would give them the most wins since, well, they won 56 two years ago. The, uh, the most last year was 50 by Buffalo. Rare for a team to win more than 50 games. Um, but it has happened about once per season. Uh, and Arizona certainly comes into this with the strongest team. I, I say they are the team to beat. And uh, right now they have to be the favorite to win their second plaque in the last three years. But as we know, the season is crazy, a lot of moves to be made, and there are a lot of teams that have playoff caliber rosters right now. And one of those teams is the predicted second place team in the Larkin division, that's the Fort Duquesne Corsairs. Uh, solid draft by them, trade for Suzuki, they got their corner outfielder, filled up the roster well. I predict them for 45 wins, which is a very solid outcome uh, for their season. Uh, definitely, uh, could challenge Jeff for the title. Jeff has uh, proclaimed himself to have the best team in the division many times, only to be felled by his old rival, Chad Canick, and you can ask him about that sometime. Uh, so certainly could take down Arizona, definitely in the mix for a playoff spot. Be a hotly contested wild card because I see there clearly being six teams with, uh, with a playoff caliber squad, so that means four of those six teams will get left out. So let's skate over to the Pucket Division to, to cover their top two teams. And those six teams represent two in each division, which is an interesting balance, despite the, the, the realignment talk at RBA Weekend, which I believe was just meant to frustrate me. We do have fairly balanced divisions. Uh, over in the Pucket, I see Buffalo is sitting at 45 wins as a projection, and right behind Dunedin with 44. However, as you'll see, Dunedin has already erased that potential advantage that I see of winning in week one. Dunedin, the more well-rounded squad, the speedier squad, probably more options for the future. So it would be hard for me to predict, certainly, Buffalo to win the division. It would be definitely hard, though, to count either team out of the mix. So both those teams definitely in position to make the playoffs. And over in the uh, Clemente division, my predicted winners as of right now, well, I'm calling it too close to call. Yes, I'm copping out. I'm pushing on the Baltimore Elm Grove situation. Because Elm Grove came into the draft looking like they would be the class of the division, but Baltimore pushed with, made a huge push with Adams draft picks. And I'm going to predict both of those teams for 46 wins. Two uh, extremely solid teams there. Um, I see Baltimore's having the second best hitting in the division. I see Elm Grove, or in the league, excuse me, second best hitting in the league. I see Elm Grove as having a very well-rounded team, good hitting, good pitching, good relief pitching. Um, so we'll see if Baltimore can overcome their slight starting pitching disadvantage, especially as you get down to the three, four, five starters of the group to Elm Grove. Um, after that, the, the, the second rung, we could say, and you never count this team out, Silver City, a huge offense again, one of the best offenses in the league. If they can get their starting pitching to, uh, to gel, 
they can make a couple of moves maybe with their starting pitching, they will be right there. They have a very strong bullpen, and they may be able to overcome their deficiencies in starting pitching to contend. As John will tell you, he always has offense, and he has done it before with what was seen as lesser starting pitching. See, two years ago, when he made the playoffs, of course, as the winner of that division. So don't count them out. I'll project them with 41 wins, an above 500 team, but they could easily make a run at a wild card or even a division title. Now, the team in that division that won't contend, of course, State College, in the second year of their rebuilding plan, they are planning for the future. They have... A solid offense, not good starting pitching, of course. Their bullpen is not good as well. They have a couple of people who can hit the ball. Definitely in a rebuilding mode. Let's project them for 30 wins. Now, the two bottom teams over in the Larkin division, Atlanta still building it up across the board. No real weaknesses. Nothing really spectacular for them. I'm going to put them on the line for 36 wins and a third-place finish, and Orlando behind them. Really, because they have a good bullpen somehow came out of the draft, even though they had no picks with a good bullpen, and they have two of the best starting pitchers in the league. Hard to say that a team's going to be absolutely awful with those two attributes. So as long as they hold on to Carpenter and Halliday and Hoffman and some of the the, uh, the second-tier relievers they have, it's going to be difficult for me to say that they're going to lose, you know, 30, 29, or lose, win 30, 29, 28 games. So let's put them at 34 for now with the caveat that you know, that they're not going to hit the ball well enough to win a whole lot of games. And if they do trade one or both starting pitchers or a reliever or two, that will certainly uh, go down the drain. It'll spiral down quickly. And cleaning it up over in the Clemente, we have uh, Las Vegas, who could definitely contend as well. Again, solid defense. Uh, they have some talent probably a couple of pieces away, but those pieces can be attained. So we'll see how the beginning of the season goes. Let's project them now for 39 wins, which is just below 500 and definitely in the range to contend for one of those wildcard spots, which I can see coming at 44 to 46 wins. And finally, uh, SoCal in their first season uh, in California, trying to rebuild that squad. Definitely not going for this year. I'll put them one win behind State College at 29. I just I see their starting pitching, basically their pitching altogether, as being a bigger weakness than it is for State College. So there are my projected win totals for this season, uh, and that is uh, one of the more anxiously awaited aspects, I think, of, of my projections. My, uh, the preseason, and I, I'm sorry that I didn't get it out there before this. But there you go. That's my rundown of that. Quickly, I see Arizona's having the best offense in the league with Baltimore second and Dunedin third. In terms of starting pitching, you got to go with Buffalo's starters, especially their top three are so, so good, so intimidating. Um, Lentz, Compete, Ubaldo, Menez, even behind that with, with Danks, and then who will follow in the five spot. Uh, after that, you gotta you gotta hand it to Fort Duquesne with their young, stable of starters, Grinky, Kershaw, Verlander, so good. We've called them the second best, and then the third best. Not a lot of names, but Arizona does have uh, top to bottom, one to five, the deepest rotation, and very solid. They're not going to get cheated out of any game, and uh, don't count that rotation out. Best bullpen, not a surprise. I see it as Arizona's. They had the best draft. Um, they kept two relievers. They supplemented Bell and Gary or well. Um, second best, Baltimore. Again, probably another of the, the good drafts. The, the, the stacked drafts tend to produce the stacked bullpens, and that's what Baltimore did. And third best, surprisingly, Silver City. 
who uh, bring back Affelt. They got some good value out of those picks in the draft. So we have those three as uh, the top in each of those categories. Um, best speed? Well, as Fort Duquesne found out in the championship, uh, they're, they're still suffering from uh, PTS as a result of... Uh, as a result of all the stolen bases, but uh, Dunedin definitely the best speed with Braun, Crawford, Ellsbury, uh, the, the list goes on. So that's our projections, and now what I'd like to do is just take you through a little bit of Week One, the week that was the opening week in the RBA. Some of the uh, some of the injuries, some of the games, a little bit of a recap of each. The first game that was played was Atlanta at Arizona, and uh, the Greenbacks were down 2-1 to one after Jack Cust did a first-inning home run. Late draft pick for Atlanta, who was starting in the cleanup spot. Cust did a two-run first-inning homer. Uh, Gallardo was making the 2-1 to one lead hold up, but he ran out of gas in the seventh. Gave up an RBI double to Brad Hoff. Two-run double to Ryan Zimmerman. Two-run homer to Jason Kubel. And that gave Arizona a 6-2 lead. They held on to win 6-3, sustaining a home run in the ninth by Cody Ross. The first big injury of the RBA season went to uh, early pick and rookie Jake Fox, who uh, was felled for 25 games in uh, his fourth at bat. Uh, he will be directly replaced by Ryan Garko, and we'll see how Atlanta handles that. In the second game, there were no injuries. There were uh, two errors made by Dunedin, uh, allowing Johnny Damon ex-Clear Blue to reach both both those times. And Buffalo held the 3-1 to one lead. Both visiting teams in uh, day one came out and held the early lead. A two-run homer by Ty Wigginton, who was playing shortstop for Buffalo, gave them that 3-1 to one lead. However, just like Atlanta, Buffalo ran out of gas late. And uh, even with Lenscombe uh, on the mound for Buffalo, uh, holding that 3-1 to one lead in the seventh inning, he ran out of gas and they gave up a three-run homer to Carl Crawford, who was hitting in the leadoff spot. So after all the talk of the flying clear blues, Ryan Braun did contribute uh, three stolen bases. Zobris chipped in one. After all that, it was. <clears throat> it wasn't by a stolen base. It wasn't small wall, but Crawford, who you might expect to be you know, the purveyor of that, Ended up uh, knocking the three-run homer. Kelly Shopik added a pinch hit, two-run homer late, and Dunedin won it going away 7-3, to three, giving Jire Jurgens, who allowed only four base runners in seven innings, the win there. In the third game, Baltimore was all over SoCal, a game that was not as close as the score would suggest. They won 7-4, to four, four home runs off Jeff Carstens, who replaced an injured starter, Justin Masterson. Kemp, Pierzynski, Bay, Dunn, in order, hit those home runs. Bay with a three-run shot. Um, SoCal uh, tacked on three in the eighth when Lilly ran out of gas. It was 7-1 to one going into the eighth, but Baltimore did hold on 7-4. to four. So Baltimore won it up. So at that point, we had Arizona, Dunedin, and Baltimore uh, as the division leaders. And in the pocket, Silver City joined Dunedin with a 4-2 win over State College. Um, Randy Wells, making his first RBA start, did suffer an injury in the fifth. He had only given up two hits and no walks at that point, struck out six. Over the win fell to Ricky Romero, who, who filled in for him after that. Um, going into the seventh, the Vultures had a 4 to nothing lead on the back of... Uh, a couple of hits by Tulowitzki, a two-run homer by Cabrera, an RBI double by Ibanez. State College did get one in the seventh, one in the eighth. RBI single by rookie shortstop uh, Cliff Pennington. 
uh, RB, or, uh, solo homer by third baseman Chris Davis, second-year player. Shields got the hard luck loss. He gave up only four base runners in seven innings. Some good pitching performances here in week one, as we would expect. But none was better than our first true upset win of the day. Uh, in that, Chris Carpenter just decimated Fort Duquesne. And uh, the Corsairs took a tough loss in week one. They got only five singles and no walks in the entirety of the game. A complete game shutout for Chris Carpenter of Orlando, who uh, stands to be one of the better pitchers in the league this year. Zach Grinke was matching him until the sixth when he gave up a, gave up a three-run homer to Felix P.A., uh, center fielder for Orlando. Uh, that was pretty much Orlando's only threat. It was the only threat they needed. They win three to nothing, and they join Arizona at the top of the Larkin. Court Duquesne will be looking to get back to 500 in week two. And finally, a little bit of a mild upset, the scrappy Las Vegas effect, who were always in it when Javier Vasquez is on the mound, take game one of their season and uh, win it, you know, after their sweep ending the season against Elm Grove last year, they come out and win game one against Elm Grove, 4-2 to two over Felix Hernandez and the Cardinals. Um, Kendry Morales, in his first RBA plate appearances, knocked a two-run homer in the first. Um, Vegas tacked on two more with RBI singles by Ibar and Martin in the in the sixth to take a four to one lead. Uh, Justin Morneau hit a solo homer in the seventh to get them closer, but that was all that Elm Grove would get. Uh, let's see some injuries there in the later games. Um, Jay Bruce, the uh, talented outfielder for Orlando, sustained the eleven game injury. And in that same game, the other right fielder, J.D. Drew, sustained a five game injury. So two injuries in the Fort Duquesne and Orlando. Game. And uh, State College's right fielder, oof, tough week for right fielders. State College's right fielder, Justin Upton, sustained a four-game injury, and he was replaced by Bill Hall, as Jeff Florian will have you know. Um, so that's it. You'll find the injury list on the report. Um, you'll find the list of matchups that are coming up in the next week then. And uh, so that's it for the podcast, trying to summarize the one that was lost, try to summarize the week that was in uh, week one of the RBA. So it is, and uh, until next time, maybe uh, next weekend, uh, this is the RBA Podcast, uh, Episode 2, and we'll see you next time.